entrepreneurs, business owners, professionals who seek excellence, bringing the business classroom to you. It's the Business Builder Show. Here's Marty Wolf. We still got a long way to go. Yes, we all got a long way to go. Welcome to the Business Builder Show with Marty Wolf. And a special welcome to my guest host, Jay Kelly Hoey. Along with Kelly and our executive producer, D.C. Taylor, we will be your guides on this learning journey. Jay Kelly Hoey and I want to enthusiastically share stories and information to inspire leaders. And we are all leaders at some point, so you can then inspire others. You can find out more about J. Kelly Hoey at jkellyhoey.co. That's jkellyhoey.co. And you can find Kelly on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. The Business Builder Show is distributed by C-Suite Radio. You can find The Business Builder Show and many other fine shows on C-Suite Radio. That's at www.c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Okay, Kelly, let's get going. Hey, this is Kelly Hoey, guest host of the Business Builder Show, and I'm absolutely thrilled today to be interviewing Kate O'Neill, tech humanist, author of a book by the same title, when she is helping humanity prepare for an increasingly tech-driven future by helping businesses make better human experiences at scale. Hey, Kate, how are you? Hey, I'm so good. Thank you for having me. Well, this is going to be a fun conversation. Um, And before we dive into technology and humanity and your book, uh, I want to talk about your career. Um, you have okay. career, and this is going to be good. You have a career <laughs> characterized by FIRST, built FIRST departmental website at the University of Illinois at Chicago, built the FIRST intranet at Toshiba in San Jose, California, held the FIRST content management role at Netflix, and you have a BA in German and a master's in linguistics. <laughs> yeah. You want to you explain that one for us, please? A completely unexpected career path from that degree, I will grant you. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, uh, it was a, a fun circumstance because I think at the time where I was finishing uh, undergrad, it was when the web really first came about. So there was there was no opportunity to major in the web or anything like that. So uh, I just had always been interested in, in computers. My, my parents were early adopters of computers. They had uh, technology and gadgets around the house. So they were never intimidating. I actually won a programming competition when I was in, I think, the first grade. So it was always something that I was interested in. And when I, when I saw the graphical web for the first time, I actually remember that moment because I had been using the internet in its text-based form. But when I saw the graphical web, I just remember having this like chills on the back of my neck feeling and thinking, this is going to change everything. And of course it did. So I, I began this sort of uh, self-driven, uh, self-taught exploration of how to build websites, how to solve these problems. And uh, it led to me being recruited to Toshiba to build that intranet. And it led to ultimately to me being one of the first hundred employees at Netflix. And, uh, you, you know, the rest is sort of many more weird jumps and, and fun uh, career progressions from there. It was, it's been a really interesting and fun trajectory. 
I'm I'm pausing listening to you talk about your career because we talk about the skill sets and the knowledge uh, that people should have in this current job market, but also from the perspective of employers, I'm thinking about this, like, how do we find talent like yours? Because that, in many ways, is what we're looking for. And and this is also making me think of a, a friend of mine, Lionel Lanchaka, who was the ch- chief blogger and the first blogger for Dell. And Lionel has a degree in, I'm going to get this right, archaeology. Oh, I love uh, that. Uh, but again, his secondary, like his his personal pastime and passion was computers. Um, like, what's your guidance for businesses out there to find people like you and Lionel? I think there's several levels of takeaway. I think it's that we, you know, we talk about encouraging kids to learn to program, and especially girls right now. There's a lot of emphasis on STEM programs and teaching girls to code. And I think that's really important, but I think we also have to have this integrative both and approach where we need to cultivate curiosity and we need to cultivate problem solving at every level. And that's what I think this skill set is that you look for in talent as well is someone who is just fiercely curious and, you know, cannot stop solving the problem you put in front of them, no matter what. You know, when I got recruited to Toshiba to build that that intranet, I, I didn't know how to do that and no one else did either. So it was a matter of just figuring out the component pieces and putting it together, just like a puzzle. And I think if you find the people who are driven to, you know, kind of, take those pieces apart and put them back together, those people are going to continue solving new problems again and again and again throughout their careers. I'm, I'm also right now thinking, listening to your answer, I'm thinking of an interview um, I heard of uh, Maria Popova of Brain Pickings. Oh, I love her. Oh my God, she's amazing. And it was the whole notion of we want answers, but we don't want to think. And, you know, what I'm hearing from you is, you know, you, you, you have this you have this desire to to solve problems. Otherwise, no one is thinking um, and not just look for answers. And, you know, when you sort of think about what's a skill set, what are the things we need is we need people who want to think, not just find an answer or build a solution. Yeah. I love that that thought from Maria too. And one one thing that reminds me of is this kind of adage I I say all the time, which is that I believe that meaningful questions are far more important than sensible answers. And so I think that if you have somebody who's just driven to pose questions and wonder, you know, Maria and I have in common that we're both compelled by this uh, idea of meaning. Uh, So I think if you're compelled by trying to understand what makes sense here, you know, what matters in this in this situation, what can I bring to light that's meaningful and important and significant? That's the someone that's going to be bringing some new thought to any kind of problem you put in front of them. Boom, we could just we can stop the interview right there with that big thought. Uh, thanks for listening, folks. No. All right. <laughs> We're not it, but wait, there's more. All right. I'm chatting with Kate O'Neill, who is the author of Tech Humanist. Kate, just because I do want people to know where they can find you uh, and where they can find your book, your website, where are you where's the best place to catch you online? There's a couple of places. One is my website, koinsights.com, which is the company that I run. uh, And you can find plenty of information about my work and booking me to speak and so on. But I'm also really prolific on Twitter. So Kate O, K-A-T-E-O on Twitter is a very easy place to connect with me. 
Yes, and checking your uh, Twitter stream, someone asked you about a pet peeve on a podcast <laughs> interview, and you couldn't think of one. You promised you weren't going to ask this question. <laughs> See, you check your Twitter stream. See, there's a lesson for everyone. People do check their Twitter stream. Well, you, you have time today to think if you have a pet peeve, and maybe it's being asked questions you don't want to answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's really funny because my answer then, uh, in, in the time that it was asked of me yesterday, was um, I, I genuinely cannot think of one. And I think that's because I'm wired as a really happy person. I just am. Like, I smile constantly and people think that I'm up to something. Maybe I am. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I don't hold on to grudges. So, yeah, so I, I was joking about that on Twitter that I, I had nothing at the top of my mind. But then I came on Twitter and suddenly I have a long list of things. It's just how people perform in the moment and behave in the moment with regard to trolling and you know, snarky commentary. I could just do with all out all of that. I'd rather we just have a, a a lovely, pleasant interaction with one another, like we're having now. Exactly. Oh, yeah. All those trolls and things like you really just look in the mirror and you know get it all out, and the rest of us don't need to hear it. All right. So let's dive into tech humanist. You've written humans thrive on meaning and a sense of fulfillment. Machines thrive on succinct in, uh, instructions. Talk about the importance of business purpose and why it is essential. Yeah, so purpose, uh, as I talk about it, is this idea that you can distill <clears throat> what it is that your company exists to do and is trying to do at scale in words that are really crisp and clear and no more than, say, three to five to maybe seven words that that really capture that essence and really convey you know, sort of an operational guiding hypothesis about what it is that you're trying to achieve. And that, I, I feel like the best example of that is uh, Southwest, uh, sorry, not Southwest. I, I love Southwest as an example of operational uh, principles, but Disney theme parks is really the one that I feel like is is the starting point for thinking about this. And their create magical experiences statement is really the one that I feel like is the most instructive. Create magical experiences in just three words. I feel like it gets across this very complex and nuanced understanding of all the operational decisions that have to be made to bring that sort of what we know is a very magical experience to the guests who come to their theme parks. So I feel like that sense of being able to articulate a, a clear sense of purpose, you know, a, a driving strategic operational purpose, not, you know, this sort of uh, half language of leverage our synergies and all that sort of stuff that goes through committee to become mission statements and vision statements and those sorts of things that we're used to, but a very crisply articulated set of, of words. And when you have that, I feel like that really touches the, the sense that humans require of being part of something that's bigger than themselves. You know, we all crave this sense of meaning and fulfillment and really trying to do something that matters. So when we think we have, when, when a business has an articulation of what they're trying to do, humans who, who are part of solving the problems within that organization, as well as humans who are, you know, connecting with the organization through brand and touch point and products and services can all feel that sense of articulation, can all feel, you know, that operationalized understanding of purpose. And it's what meaning takes the shape of in business. Meaning takes the shape in business as purpose. And again, you know, machines thrive on these clear, succinct instructions. So you have to break down what you're trying to accomplish into rules, into steps, 
So when you have that clear sense of purpose, you're able to give machines instructions. Hey, here's how we're going to solve a problem that comes in that looks like this. Here's how if you're going to you know, have chatbots that deal with customer interactions and support cases. They, it needs to understand that the priorities are X, Y, and Z, and that the values are X, Y, and Z. We, we need to recognize that we encode values into those decision-making uh, processes that we put into algorithms and, and uh, machines in general. So all of that, I just feel like purpose is super, super important for, uh, for business to be thinking about at a strategy level but I think especially at the moment, as we're scaling into this time where automation and artificial intelligence and all kinds of emerging technologies just bring about so much additional capacity with them, that it's imperative that we think about what it is that we're doing when it gets to scale and how well, we can make sure it's effective. Well, I, I, so many thoughts from, from your answer when I think of it is like, yeah, where are you having a, a stating a business purpose that everyone within a company, regardless right. of your task, your function, your title, your duty, you can relate to it and understand where your, you know, your input, where your contribution, um, whatever you're building, however you're engaging, like lines up to that, uh, rather than thinking, you know, go back to the Disney example, you know, someone who is on the technology side going, well, that's not my responsibility. That's right. for those, t those are those talent people in the parks. They get to worry about the magical experiences. I just need to get this website up. Um, and, and that, I think that's just so vital. And, and the thought that's running through my mind, um, because, uh, we had on the show, uh, you know, say someone, you know, uh, Scott McCain, uh, author ah, of Iconic, best uh, voice we in the business. Exactly. We were talking about companies that kind of, you know, like what happens if they'd seen a, a, a bigger vision for themselves. But I'm thinking about it in your case of a purpose. So what happens if like what happens if Kodak had had a vision of itself not as a film company, but as our, our, our purpose is maintaining or celebrating memories yeah, I think that's so important. I, I think it's it's understandable that purpose is going to be, change in nuances as time goes on because it's going to be responding to to cultural input and context. So, you know, I think if you had asked Netflix uh, back in the early days when I was there um, what its purpose was, it probably would have had something to do with um, bringing entertainment away from the theaters and into the home or something like that. And I think that's largely still true, but I think the, the way that it, they've gone about it has obviously changed. You know, they've responded to differences in technology and differences in expected behaviors and, and uh, consumer trends. Uh, all of that has to be stuff that kind of gets it's taken into consideration when you take purpose down a level to how you're going to apply it in the organization. And it gets applied through brand. It gets ex applied through experiences and touch points and through culture. And then you have to think, too, about how to operationalize it. How does this actually live within the organization? How are you going to deploy assets and resources that amplify, that dimensionalize, that bring to life the decisions that you've made and the encoding that you've that you've chosen. So there's just so many factors before you ever even get to you know data and technology, like the the part about where you actually say, okay, here's our data model, here's the metrics we're going to use to determine what success looks like. That should be informed by purpose too. It should be informed absolutely by all of these organizational decisions. And technology should be to amplify and accelerate 
what you have uh, determined to be your purpose and, and should feel like part of culture, should feel like part of brand. I think so often people jump into, you know, digital transformation efforts uh, with the cart before the horse, you know, thinking about what technologies they're going to adopt and not having given thought to these strategic questions so that they can make sure that they've got all of their assets moving in the same direction, all of the, the sense of purpose kind of informing all of, all of this energy that they're putting out there. We just we get, get so excited by shiny objects and new gadgets that we that we have to have uh, exactly rather than thinking, you know, what is the human experience that we are trying to um, enhance or grow, uh, facilitate, and what is the right tool or you know. Um, whatever the technology or the experience like what is it we need to do to to enable that rather than oh someone else someone else is doing it we have to do it too so we're chatting exactly. with chatting with Kate O'Neill author of Tech Humanist um Kate you've also written to develop technology in harmony with human advancement we need to challenge our basest instincts and channel our best intentions the conversation around AI and robots is tinged with, I'm going to say, fear uh, and conflict. Um, how do we move beyond that? How do we get the best out of people and out of technology? Well, I think there's a big cultural discussion that's happening right now, and I'm really happy to see it happening. It's being led by a, a lot of voices who have been writing uh, about this topic, about uh, bias in algorithms and data sets and so on. And I'm, I'm thrilled to be part of the set of people who's trying to elevate that that discourse. But I think the issue is we need to recognize that that data is not objective, that we create data sets, humans create data sets. Um, we create the algorithms that we that use that are used to make decisions. And all of machine learning, all of technology, is obviously built by humans for the time being until technology is building its own technology. Um, but even then, obviously, its origins would be human-based. And so I think we need to recognize that we are we are the ones who are encoding our values and our biases into machines. And so it's really important that we check ourselves, that we look at the opportunity to to make the most of the, this uh, this moment as as we're building more and more. Uh, automation and uh, encoding more decisions through algorithms and and accelerating our world around us through machine learning and AI, it, it's going to be imperative that we have done the best we can to to represent uh, our our best selves and and not our our most uh, sort of efficient and profit driven and sort of selfish selves. I and I go into a whole thing in the book about profit and how it is one one measure, one dimension, and we need to be thinking about it as a useful metric, but not the only metric. I think there's just a lot like that. That's It's just one, one dimensional, a lot of the discussion. So we need to be thinking much more holistically and much more dimensionally about how to solve human problems while solving business problems so that as business scales and succeeds, it brings humanity right along with it. And we can genuinely improve quality of life, genuinely improve human experience. Just a tiny goal that you have there. <laughs> well, I think it's I think it's a uh, it sounds really big and and uh, ambitious, but I think it's the the natural scale of what we're looking at over the coming years that we're adding capacity. We're we are adding uh, capacity to business, and I think that's because business is the driver behind technology. 
technology doesn't doesn't just grow on its own. It's business uh, drivers that are that are bringing about the emergence of of technology. So I think if we can get business aligned with what it can do to be effective within itself and solve its own sense of purpose, you know, what problems it came into the world to solve, while also looking at, you know, how does that align with the the human constituents all around the business and how can we make their experiences just a little bit more meaningful while they're interacting with this company and with this company's purpose? How can we bring that to some sense of... of um, an elevated uh, experience. And I think it doesn't have to be humanitarian. It doesn't have to be something where, you know, you're necessarily trying to solve uh, poverty or hunger. I mean, poverty or, or um, yeah, or hunger, right? <laughs> uh, it's it's more that it needs to align somehow with, with human objectives. And that can be as simple as uh, simplicity or convenience or, um, or uh, you know, getting somebody to a delightful experience much faster. And, and doesn't the sum of this so much because you, you know, you hit on it with, with, with data and that the fact that, that data uh, and this, you know, this rich world of business data and, and analytics, that's all fueled by our individual behavior and choices. And so much of what I hear you talking about also is like a reality check for all of us as um, active participants in creating this new business world and this new order that is um, so technology focused. And we as individuals, whether it is uh, as employees or as consumers, business owners, need to kind of st- take a step back and not only say, how are we using data? How are we analyzing it? How are we, how are we gathering it? Um, how are we analyzing it? But how are we contributing to it? And yeah. why are and why are we contributing to it? <laughs> why is a good question. I think we have to be mindful about how we use social media and other technologies. But I think it is it's a three part conversation. The first part is business. We definitely have to be as business leaders uh, asking good questions about how our business is set up to succeed. And and uh, for the good of the business, we have to be asking questions about purpose and how purpose will scale. But also we need to be very mindful about the data we're collecting, not only because it is human data and we should treat it with respect, but also because there are risks and financial, um, you know, sort of liabilities that are wrapped up in collecting human data and having it be vulnerable. So, you know, absolutely there's, there's overhead expense in protecting that data as well there should be. So there's that component. There's a government component where a right-sized amount of regulation that that is human-centric, that makes sure to protect the interests of humanity needs to be part of the equation. And we don't, I don't think we exactly know what that needs to look like just yet, but other other countries and other regions are, are you know, sort of making their attempt at it. The European, uh, European Union has the GDPR um, and they've already levied the first fines uh, against an American tech company for, for not necessarily complying with, uh, with the principles of transparency that it lays forward. So uh, there's that opportunity. And then, as you say, there is this human individual opportunity. We all have the, the chance to be mindful and sophisticated and uh, thinking with, with due diligence about how we participate and the fact that every one of our interactions these days 
kind of generates a data trail. And we need to be aware of that, more and more and more aware of that all the time because we're generating more and more data all the time. So becoming smarter and savvier and more sophisticated about how we use technology and what trade-offs we make with the data that we are able to, to give over in exchange for uh, conveniences and, uh, and affordances of, of, um, of services. I think all of those things are, are things that we need to be uh, considering and talking about in more rich and sophisticated ways all the time. Well, that you said trade-offs. It remi- reminds me of a conversation um, I had with uh, Troy Carter. Um, you know, I say an early stage investor and involved in the music world, and had been Lady Gaga's manager. And you know, for some reason, unbeknownst to me, we we have now spoken at two conferences at the same time. <laughs> anyway, we had a conversation around data. He lives in L.A., and as he said, you know, to get something delivered. You know, you know, and not have the inconvenience of LA traffic. He was like, "I will give away my children's data." For that. <laughs> <laughs> that, well, was that moment of like convenience. Funny. There's always been this trade-off, right? Of of we've understood this equation that uh, there's a convenience, privacy, security sort of triangle that surrounds the use of data. That that human data is. Um, is sort of a commodity that we can exchange for access to things. And those things generally make our lives a little easier or better. Um, But we trust that there's going to be due privacy and due security um, given to our data when we hand it over. And so all the leaks and breaches and so on that we've seen the last few years, especially, um, have really kind of given rise to some some reconsideration of, of that equation. And also things like Cambridge Analytica and and the the manipulation of American elections. I think that's causing people to step back and say, you know, is the the equation really what we always understood it to be? Like the the old trope about if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Like, are are we accepting that these days? You know, do we, should we be reconsidering what that equation looks like? And I think those conversations are critically important to be having and to be having with greater and greater urgency all the time. Yeah, given how fast things are moving. Um, I have so many more questions. <laughs> um, Marty has been so quiet. I'm, uh, you know, are you there, Marty? I, I am here. If I can just make a quick comment. What I really loved about the book and I'm loving about this conversation and your work is the whole idea of its technology and being human it's not either or. We've had right. guests on the show and certainly uh, talked about the technology side of it, really, but the human part of it really didn't in, enter into that discussion. I think that's so, so important what you're doing. I love the book and that whole connectivity of that. And uh, I think we need to continue to do what you're doing is to talk more about. We have to remember that our customers are generally are human beings. Right. 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 Yeah, I think it's one thing I brought up. It's one of the evolutions of this idea. It came from my book, uh, the last book before Tech Humanist was Pixels in Place. And uh, it was all about the intersection of digital and physical experiences. And what I sort of pointed out through that book and, and pointed out many times on stages since then was that everywhere interesting that the physical world and digital world connect, it is 
connected through human experiences, through our data, through our movements in the world, what we buy, what we say to one another, you know, all of these different kind of relationships that we cultivate online, all of that is what actually connects those worlds. And when we think about the opportunity to to build upon that and really create richer, more interactive experiences, we cannot take for granted that it is human data and human experiences that get us there. So yeah, I'm so pleased to hear you say that that resonates with you, Marty, because that that's one of the things that really has driven me forward from from through my work over the last few few years. It's just this emphasis on the idea that it's human interactions, human experiences that are really propelling innovation forward. So we can't we can't have one without the other. I'm going to talk about this on Twitter all the time. Uh, how's that? <laughs> they were done. <laughs> Okay. Then that will not that will not make Kate's list of pet peeves. <laughs> it might, it might. <laughs> then again, we'll find out. Um, Kate, this has just been phenomenal, and I haven't. I've probably gotten to three of the questions I wanted to ask you today. So I hope you will come back and share more of this conversation and the conversations that you're having out there in the world from, I know you were at uh, CES this year and you're all over the place. So there's so much more we need to talk about. So promise us you'll come back. I would love to. And and, uh, yeah, CES this year, the UN already. So it's been a little bit of a wild year. You know, if you don't think you're a tech company, like think again, the UN knows it is. So anyhow, there we have it. (laughs) Kate, thank you so very much. Um, and you. Oh, you know what? Remind people one more time where they can find you. Absolutely. KOinsights.com or Kate O on Twitter. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, J. Kelly Hoey, for being our guest host on the Business Builders Show. You can learn more about Kelly at jkellyhoey.co. That's jkellyhoey.co. And of course, you can learn more about me, Marty Wolf, and the Business Builder Show at MartyWolfBusinessSolutions.com. That's MartyWolfBusinessSolutions.com. Remember, you can get all our shows and many other great shows at C-SuiteRadio.com. Bringing the business classroom to you. It's the Business Builder Show with Marty Wolf. As a loyal fan of this C-Suite Radio Show, we've got an unbelievable offer for you. Listeners to the Business Builder Show get 50% off a C-Suite Network membership. The C-Suite Network will help you become the most strategic person in the room. You'll have access to top-notch benefits and networking, all helping you get the most out of your position. Take advantage of this limited-time offer today. Learn more about the C-Suite Network membership at c-suitenetwork.com slash CSR. Again, that's 50% off a C-Suite Network membership at c-suitenetwork.com slash CSR.